0: You're listening to Geek Girl Meets. you're joining Geek Girl Meets, the podcast that interviews inspiring women in tech and women in business. And you are listening to the second episode of our new run after a little bit of a hiatus, which I'm still apologizing for. And I am delighted to introduce Vivian Tong, who has joined me today. Now, Vivian is a postdoc researcher in nuclear materials. You are my first official postdoc researcher on the show. So welcome, Vivian. Thank you. So why don't you
1: tell us a little bit more what are you what does it mean to be a postdoc researcher A postdoc researcher in general means you finished the PhD and you're waiting for a permanent job and it's to kind of a chance for for researchers to develop more skills past their official training and so that they can go into say industry or academia or whatever they choose to do in terms of nuclear materials I Generally look at how metals behave in nuclear reactor. So how from when you f- make the part to when, how the part operates in service, how strong it is, how its structure changes with say high temperatures or corrosion or irradiation. Generally, I use electron microscopes to look at these things. You can use, you can go to a much higher resolution spatially you can look at much smaller things clearly if you use an electron microscope as opposed to a light microscope and you can also do a lot of fun things with how the in- electrons interact with the material you look at and find out more than you could just if you were looking using optical uh, using visible light that's what i do well i can see
0: from the, the way that you you talk about what you do you're very you know, obviously passionate about, about it. And if you've done PhD and you're now postdoc, then clearly this has been
1: something that you've wanted to do for a while. When you were little, what did you want to be? I, When I was six, I said I want to be a scientist to my parents. I don't really know why. And then I wanted to find out how the world worked. And I was given the children's encyclopedia. And I, I, I know I, I read from cover to cover and... That's what I was really interested when I was very little. Somewhere along the line, I realized I was good at English. And where I come from, that's a big advantage. So there were people who said, oh, you should do something that makes use of your English skills. So I come from Hong Kong. And if you speak English, you can get mostly any job you would like. Because a lot of the time, it is a big advantage to be able to speak English. So somewhere in there, it went from what is my kind of big interest to what is the most, makes the best use of what people value my skills, uh, makes the best use of my skills. But then I think in the end, I wasn't that interested in doing something that involves lots of English. I don't like writing that much. I do it quite a lot as my job, but it's not the kind of, it's scientific writing, which is a little bit, more structured you know what you, you're you getting into it's not creative yeah so a little
0: bit more kind of analytical and formulaic even just in, in terms of using English
1: yes and you have to be very concise you have to say as much information as you can as clearly as you can in as few words as you can that's good it's a good skill to have um, yeah which so I guess the, the whole being able to write thing helps a bit but you don't have to be A brilliant writer in the conventional sense to need to to be able to be good at academic writing yeah okay
0: how did you so so how did you go from hong kong to being in london and studying over here what was the the journey that made you move over to the uk
1: so i went i applied for university in the uk i don't think my parents wanted me to go particularly but my teacher really wanted me to i trusted the teacher i think i also really wanted to fight do something new get out of home and then i got into i got into oxford here and it was at first it was like oh you just need to apply you don't have to take the place and then you get a place at oxford and then it's a bit like well now you only need to make the offer there's no not really if you are able to there's not really a question of whether you want to or not yeah. Okay. So
0: it was if if everything goes all right and Oxford one hundred percent accepts you and you get in, you go.
1: Well, it was it was more like how can you turn down a it, it, so the thought process went. I'll just apply, then then it would, and then and I got an offer from Oxford, and then it was a bit like how can how can anyone reject an offer from Oxford to kind of to 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 go to university in Hong Kong if you are able to go. I'm grateful that my parents let me go, and they were able to support me through that. I think it was a quite a tough decision on their front because I was not the most stable teenager, okay, so on that note,
0: we'll come back to talking a little bit more about your career. Now, you said you weren't the most stable teenager, and you and I have already spoken briefly before pressing the big scary record button about the fact that you actually really want to talk quite openly about mental health now. I myself have suffered since I was about 14 years old with anxiety and depression. And I made the decision a couple of years ago that I, I believe wholeheartedly that it's just something that you have to talk about and you have to talk about it openly. And you've got to be willing to listen to other people who have had any form of struggle or who may have something happening to them right now. And they just you know need someone to be able to listen. So what was your, what was your
1: own kind of struggle with mental health and, and why do you want to kind of shine a light on it today? So when I was 14, I very suddenly stopped functioning, stopped being able to take care of myself, eat, go to school, do all the things that normal teenagers do. And my parents had no idea why, and were really worried, as you would be, if your 14-year-old daughter suddenly stopped functioning. Later on, that was... Diagnosed as a psychotic episode, and I think I was very lucky to have support of people around me and kind of friends in school who did not outright reject it, reject me because my behavior was strange. I think now thinking back, and also knowing more about other people, there were people in the school who were going through similar stuff but no one really talked about it. Um I think as teenagers everyone's very insecure. Everyone is trying to find out find their own place in life and where they stand in w- amongst their peers and in society and therefore people often tiptoed around what I was and wasn't able to do. Uh, there were th- things where say I was excluded from stuff because it was deemed dangerous. Because I was unstable, kind of extracurricular activities and, and that was more, that was a school level and that was, I guess, teachers trying to protect themselves in terms of socially, not, not that I was in any way able or willing to be included, but people would assume I would say no. So they would say, stop saying, stop asking me to do stuff with them in terms of, that growing up environment, I think it's because no one knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. If people know, if teenagers know, even, even, even as insecure wanting to fit in teenagers, if they know more about actually it's okay and it's not shameful to have a mental health problem and the best way to go about dealing with these people, dealing with people who might be struggling, that would be helpful for people who struggle or even people who don't have a major breakdown but have kind of low-level anxiety or depression or other other things kind of very low-level stuff that really but it really bothers them even if it doesn't stop them from taking exams or passing through life unnoticed people speaking up about stuff would mean that i think i think people speaking up about stuff would mean that if you if pe if people who um are not okay speak up more about stuff, then it kind of normalizes the. It makes it normal to say that if it's normal to say that you're not okay, and no one reacts badly to it or tries to walk on eggshells around you, that would be helpful for lots of sufferers, I guess. Yeah, it's a
0: you know I've I've kind of always said and lots of other people say that it's it's okay to not be okay and and as you said you know if you can normalize mental health issues you you open the door for so many more people to talk openly about what's going on in their own heads yes which in different societies different countries different cultures different ages of growing up it's it's very it's a very different experience, so if i similar to you you know when you round about the age that you had your episode, yeah, that was round about the first time that I was depressed and and parents didn't necessarily know what it was. you just kind of got classed as moody teenager or troubled teenager, and it's hormones and it's growing up, and it's all part of life's experience but It's not. There's other stuff that happens and the more that you can talk about it and you can share it, the more that society will be able to recognize when it's not just a 14-year-old girl having a teenage tantrum. It's something much, much, much deeper than that.
1: And also that for people who fall on the wrong side of clinical, Mm -hmm. who can't maybe get help from clinical people, it would enable those people, even though they maybe don't have a problem that warrants medicating that they would feel unable to speak about how they are not dealing with life as well as
0: maybe they should be. Mm-hmm. How do you find it now? Because obviously we're talking about when you were a, a teenager and and this episode occurred but you know now at the age that you are and and doing what you do do you mm-hmm. do you find that it inhibits you in any way?
1: Now I am a lot better. I think it does inhibit me to some extent but not in a way that i don't function in my job so the really nice thing about academia is that if you're productive it doesn't matter or if you're not not productive maybe wrong. if you make a valuable contribution to your gr- research group the workplace it doesn't matter if you're a bit weird or if you have days where it's flexible enough that if you have days where you really don't want to talk to people and actually can't function it's okay the nice thing is that my job has very few hard deadlines in terms of how it affects me more widely yes because i am less productive than i would be if i didn't have days where I don't, I can't talk to people. And that has implications for if I want to progress. I don't know what the real, the right answer is yet. And I don't know why, I don't know how to deal with the fact that I have let, I am less productive as a result of having days where I am not well. I mean, in, in, in terms of, in terms of career progression, and if one day maybe I look after a research group, someone has to, uh, that i'm not just responsible for me that i'm responsible for everyone else as well i think part of that might be developing strategies where i can help other people to help each other or something i don't know i'm not at that stage yet for now um it makes a difference also when i have i have when i have to h- interact with people who are in the higher authority big academic people I get really anxious doing that, especially if I have to eat a meal with them. That's always something that I don't deal very well with. Yeah,
0: it's we've all got our own little situations or scenarios that have a kind of a, a trigger internally. There's a, this is uncomfortable, I don't like this, and I've got those as well. Mine is always really, 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 really large crowds for no reason. I get really weird in very, very large crowds, whereas on a one-to-one basis, I'm like,
1: yeah, maybe this is much
0: easier and easier to do. So you're talking about, you know, obviously managing what you have and and doing what you do. What is it about the research that you do and the area in which you do it that excites you the most? What is it that, you know, does get you out of bed in the morning and actually there and and doing it?
1: I think it's... Finding out how the world works is really cool. The, re- the, the fact that the world makes sense is a bit crazy and how it, it's like a puzzle and it's a puzzle that it has a solution and it's even better because this solution is useful for improving lives of people. The research I do is helping to make nuclear reactors safer. That's useful for helping provide stable electricity supply to lots of populations. That's the wider thing. And maybe if day to day, I don't often think about, oh, I am really saving the world by looking at missiles and making nuclear power plants safer. That's kind of the bigger picture motivation. Mm-hmm. The small scale motivation is the joy of seeing something work. That's engineering, I guess. Yeah, um, it's kind of doing things, solving pieces of a puzzle, so that we can have a better understanding of how the world works, and being and it being useful in that process is great. Also, uh, I've helped uh, I, as part of my job. I've been developing some software to make things faster for people to collect data. That's also cool. Because it means we can do more things in less time. In the end, universities are majority majority funded by taxpayer money. Mm-hmm. I think I want to give back value to what the people, what what taxpayers pay to the government who fund things, and I and I I think having a ha, having 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 something that is useful for industry and something that is fun to work on is like dream job yeah
0: yeah I can see it you're very very animated when you're talking about what it is that gets you up and doing what you do how can we make more girls younger girls this excited about the possibility of having a career in STEM or to go super super specific in science
1: I have been volunteer. Start, i have started to volunteer as um, a stem ambassador everyone who is a stem ambassador goes out to schools or the stem ambassador program puts you in touch with schools or youth groups or stuff to go and run science workshops or speak about like do a speak to a scientist speak to an engineer type thing and it's a really good experience to be able to help but what i've learned more is actually the feedback from what the girls say what kind of feedback? Um, do you so get? I've had, not part of the STEM ambassador program, but I've volunteer I volunteered at Brownies unit. So these are f- for primary school age girls, and we learned how planes work, how planes fly, um, and folded paper planes and had a race and learned about forces that need to be balanced so that you can fly a plane. What I learned from them is that they say, well. Their leader told their the their unit leader told me that lots of them are very interested in science in school, but because there seems to be a tendency for the boys to crowd them out in experiments. none of them get to do they they get to do the actual task less often there seems to be even at a very kind of young age, maybe seven till ten that boys are naturally better is it is it naturally better or naturally a bit more confident to get in and do the experiment i don't know if it's i don't i i don't know what what the reason is that they end up crowding the girls out and then the girls feel like oh maybe i i must not be any good at this or but then i think it's not a, it, it must it must not be it must not be an interesting because they are, they are interested and they actively engage very well when they're in all girls groups. Mm-hmm. In terms of why the boys do it in, whether, whether this is for the boys crowding them out because they're more enthusiastic and get there first, I haven't seen them in kind of non science work. So I don't know if they, if this group work thing, if this was general to group work um, and the boys kind of, do everything first and crowd the girls out that might be a that that might be a general thing but that in science you tend to have more group experiment stuff yeah um and actually this is just anecdotal evidence i think as a uh yeah this is anecdotal evidence maybe this happens but this is i've spoke when i speak to when i speak to leaders of these youth groups that's what center here it's really interesting though because you you
0: you know you're talking about girls pre-secondary school who are engaged and they're excited by science and then if we jump forward to the end of secondary school and look at a levels and then university you know I'm, again, me kind of guesstimating here, but there's obviously quite a significant drop between the interest at that much younger level and the number of women that are going to university and, you know, following science as a career or technology as a career. Anything can stem. So, you know, it's it's what is one of those things that if it was up to you and you could say anything to get a girl who is maybe between the age of 13 and 18 excited about science and seeing it as a career path to follow what what would you say to that girl
1: for a girl interested in um stem and kind of wondering what to do i think i would say at was it gcse and a level levels keep your options open yeah don't pick subjects that you think are strategically easier because there's, there's also there's there's been some statistics floating around saying lots of people even parents think that science is too hard and whether that's specific to boys or just with girls i don't know but i mean it's it's an achievable thing to study science if you're interested in it it is a valuable way to uh to to help people it's fun it's interesting and. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do it because you're not good enough. I think a lot of things also is interest is developed, not innate. Yeah. So if you have a girl who is never exposed to extra science things compared to... Or if a girl is exposed to less science than her boy peers of course they are not going to be as interested in science as their as uh, yeah as their um as their as the boys so also in what you give children to play with toys i think toys can anyone can play with any toys but then often if you get a gift as a girl you get i don't know dolls and if you and then you get a truck if you're a boy and it's it's okay but it's also Means that you don't get as much opportunities to develop interest. If a girl is already interested, I think a lot of the thing is a lot of the issue can be confidence. I don't know if this is true on a general level, but I've seen that I I've I met a I met a few very underconfident, very capable women in my work, and I think, well, and I think I haven't met underconfident very capable men in my work to the same extent so in in some in in and uh, to some extent maybe it's uh i don't believe i can do this so i'll do this i was sent an article recently about how if you uh, if men have 60 if men fulfill 60 percent of the job criteria they apply for a job if women don't meet all the criteria they don't apply for it yes
0: yeah we've i I've, I've heard that one a lot it's the for some reason, again, just very general, but we feel that we have to tick every single criteria, if not, you know, the ones that are totally critical and some of the softer, softer criteria that are usually put in there before we're confident enough to know that we're qualified for that role. Whereas, as you say, men, men feel much more confident and it's that, that kind of idea of, oh, I meet a few of them, or oh, I'll blag the rest, I'll be fine. It's just, you know, you lose nothing by applying yourself.
1: A lot of the underconfidence might come from the, I need to prove myself Mm -hmm. versus the, oh, who wouldn't want me to do this? Yes, exactly. I think Um, that's like nail on the head.
0: On the note of talking about women and, you know, a bit of a lack of confidence and not necessarily going for the job if they don't meet all of the criteria or, you know, being, we know that they are totally capable, but they just can't necessarily see it themselves. Is there something that you wish you had known when you were starting university or maybe, you know, it's the start of your 20s that you wish you could say to any other girl out there right now who's maybe at the start of her journey?
1: I think I would say that it's okay to um, be not 100% performance all the time. I think I would say... That you don't have to know what the plan is, but it's important to follow, it's important to take opportunities and keep options open. I think, I don't know, maybe I'm stereotyping here, but girls, I see, well, I see myself tend to trying to control things, be slight, 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 slightly obsessively planned stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it goes wrong, then then that's that's never good because you've, you've planned it. And that's actually one of the things that is difficult about academia is that you have to write these research proposals and you've never done the work for them. And you may never get to do the work for them, but you have invested like hours and hours and hours trying to figure out how you would do the work that you may never get to do. So you have to hold it very lightly, even though you've invested a lot in it. So back to the girls, I think it's okay not to know what you're doing yet. It's okay not to know your place in life and society and your in your head and and you are probably more capable than you think because you see people around you, especially in the in STEM subjects where there is still kind of physics lectures at eighty percent male attendance you If you see your peers very confident, that may not always mean that they are more capable. I fell into that trap for a lot of my university years. Yeah. No, that's that's really, really good advice. I particularly like
0: the um, the piece about not having a fixed plan. If I think back to when I was in my early 20s, I was convinced I was going to be a film director. Then I was convinced I was going to be a radio star and a television presenter. And lo and behold, six years later, I make up for it by having a podcast <laughs> in order to keep a passion alive. But it's one of those things you do kind of set a... I'm going to achieve this. I'm going to achieve this. I'm going to achieve this. I'm going to do it by doing XYZ, XYZ, And you're not taking any consideration for whatever life is going to throw at you because life, you've got no control over it. So one of the things that is celebrated in the startup world, and it's something that I personally would love more people to embrace is the whole idea that failure is not a bad thing. Failure is an opportunity. So you are are at some point in your life going to fail. And it's a very, very healthy thing, because it's only by failing that you can learn. And the opportunity that is there is that it provides you with a a new direction. And you don't know what that direction is going to be. But there are
1: so many possibilities at the end of it. Yes, I would say, don't be afraid to experiment outside. I've done the thing where I kind of finished university, I was going to I, w- I had applied to start teaching, but then that didn't happen. But I've kind of gone through the academic route without really going into kind of outside outside university industry or other kind of jobs. I've gone down that route. I think if I were to do it again, would I do it this way? Probably, yeah. I really love what I'm doing. But I think experience from other stuff is valuable like in my research group there are a few mature students and it's you can see the difference in how they view things not so much in that they're more capable necessarily a competency is around equal but they see things from a very different point of view Mm -hmm. i think exploring is okay you don't have to settle immediately yeah Yeah. where do you want to be in
0: Five years' time. I know we're talking about not having a plan, but you know, do doing... Where would I really like to be? Well, where, yeah, yeah exactly. Where would you like to be? I would
1: like to have, I can, I would like to be in a place where I can apply my skills kind of more directly to. I think I would like to be in a place where I can apply my research a bit more practically. I think at the moment, a lot of what I do is kind of the groundwork for developing stuff I really want to do something like be able to teach people how to do stuff like train people how to do stuff I guess that could take several forms I don't want the stuff I found out to just stay with me yeah and I don't really particularly want it to just be disseminated in some sort of journal publication that most people won't read I want To, um, I, I, yeah, I want to be able to, um, disseminate my research, my research or my, or just the general stuff more widely than I am now. Career wise, that could mean several things. It could mean going into industry or education or all sorts of things, but I don't know. Yeah. You're in one of those like world is my
0: oyster type situations. You can go any which way that you want to. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, powerful place to be. There's a lot of awesome things that you can do with the research that you've got.
1: It's an uncertain place to be, and it's very exciting. Yeah. I think it's not, it's, 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 it's something that would have terrified me 10 years ago. Like, I have a contract that ends in X years, and I don't know what I'm going to do with it afterwards. I don't know whether I'm going to be able to get a permanent job for the rest of my life. That kind of, that would have freaked me out 10 years ago. But I think, yeah
0: it's good as we just talked about right you know not having a plan Mm -hmm. opens you up to a lot of opportunity and uh i I think you're in a great position for whatever it is that you're next going to do in the future vivian what is the
1: best way in which any any of our listeners can get in touch with you on twitter what's your twitter handle vt dot vivian vivian spelt v-i-v-i-a-n
0: one okay Brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me for Geek Girl Meets. It's been a pleasure to hear more about you and what you do. And um, I'm always honoured to be able to speak more openly with anyone about mental health. And I'm really glad that you shared that with us today
1: thank you, it was good, I really enjoyed
0: this. Fantastic, thank you very much for that and to you dear listener, thank you very much for tuning in so as per usual Geek Girl Meetup UK have plenty of events planned for the year ahead so if you want to stay in the loop you can follow us on Twitter at GGM UK, you can check us out on Facebook, with Geek Girl Meetup UK and you should definitely go and follow the newsletter if you want to hear about all of our upcoming events and a massive thank you to our partners for this, Runway East, I I am here in their podcast studio on Featherstone Street, which is super, super, super close to the infamous Old Street roundabout. If you are looking for space and you've got a startup or you just want a hot desk, then head over to runwayea.st online and find out more about what they can offer you. And if you're super tempted, you can get a 20% off discount off of any hot desk or a dedicated desk membership if you use the code geekgirlmeets when you make an inquiry. Just tell them that Kathy White sent you and they'll be happy. Thanks for joining us and we will speak to you next week. You can follow Geek Girl on Twitter at GGMUK, sign up to our newsletter on the website at geekgirlmeetup.co.uk and you can like our Facebook page, Geek Girl Meetup UK.